How's it going, Hosanna, here in Lakeville and in Shakopee, of course, good to be with you and those of you online. Uh, we have Hosanna family all over the globe, actually, did you know that? And it's good to be with you wherever you are. And I'm not just saying that, uh, I really like the, being with you. Uh, I was here yes, early yesterday morning and, and, and anticipating this time together, and I just love that we get to come together like this, and uh, it's such an honor to be one of your pastors. So here we are about a third of the way through Lent, this season leading up to, to Easter, a third of the way through Lent, which means some of you are getting cranky, right, because you gave up candy or carbs or cauliflower, something like that, and you're about ready to let someone have it, okay? Don't do that during the service. Wait till after. Don't at all. You'll make it through uh, whatever you gave up for Lent if that's uh, part of your tradition. It also means that we're about a third of the way through this series all about Jesus, all about Jesus, and I'm having this thought already, I don't want it to end, right? It's just something about this series, it feels so, so right to talk about Jesus, and it's all about Jesus. Well, here's the deal, it doesn't end. It's always all about Jesus. <laughs> and we're always supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus, which, which is the, the theme verse for this series, Hebrews 12, one through two. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So we're, we're always fixing our eyes on Jesus as his followers, but during this Lenten series, we're, we're honing in, we're, 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 we're drilling in even more, focusing on Jesus. We're on a journey with Jesus, and we're all in different places on our journey with Jesus. Isn't that true? And, and I love this invitation. Uh, we find it in the Gospel of John where Jesus says to some of his early followers, come and see, come and see. Some of you are in that place in your journey with Jesus. You're not sure if you believe it. You're not sure what to make of all of it. But you can hear this invitation, come and see. We say at Hosanna, you can belong before you believe. We, we like to think you can take faith for a test drive here at Hosanna. Maybe you're not ready to say you believe it's true, but you can ask this question, does it work? Does this whole Christianity thing, following Jesus, work? We're glad you're with us if you're in a come and see place, wherever you are. Each week of this series, uh, we've been looking at a different theme, a different time period in Jesus' life chronologically. The first week, we looked at why. Why, why did Jesus come? What, what was the purpose uh, of Jesus coming? And we, we said it really comes down to two things. One, Jesus came to reveal who God is, to show us who God is. If you ever wonder, what does God look like? Look at Jesus. Fix your eyes on him, and that's what God looks like. And then the second reason, he came to rescue the world. <laughs> to rescue the world. And if you're part of the world, that means he came to rescue you from all kinds of things. And then last week, the second week of the series, Pastor Shea gave a stirring message about the obscurity of Jesus. Now, there were more than a few of us who wondered, was that topic going to be too obscure? <laughs> and and, and, uh, and we, we wondered how a message could come out of Jesus, you know, the 18 years of Jesus' life being summed up in one verse, but, but did we get a message <laughs> about the obscurity of Jesus? It was a powerful message, and you should check it out if you haven't heard it yet. I'd, I'd sum that message up this way, that if you feel like you're in a season of obscurity, Jesus has been there. He's been there. He can identify with your experience. And, and then the other way I'd sum it up is if you are in a season of obscurity, obscurity you're in a season of waiting, uh, God works in the waiting. He's with you in the waiting. He works to, to shape our character and to build up our faith. So that was last week, the obscurity of Jesus. This week, the topic had been identified for... I don't know, weeks, maybe even months. 
And, and I was going to give a message on the call of Jesus, and I would put a fair amount of time into it. I even had an illustration, a prop. If you're under 30, this is a phone. <laughs> and I was going to talk about the call of Jesus, and are you answering the call of Jesus? And, and as it turns out, this is an illustration of how not to do things, because I wasn't listening to the call of God carefully enough for this message. It started on Monday. Uh, we have our weekend message team meeting. We have a team of people who, who pour into these messages. Did you know that? Uh, there's a whole team of people that are behind these messages, like, you know, dozens of people, from, from creative folks to research people to tech folks to our communications team. One of us gets up here and gives it, but, but there's a whole team of people behind it. And I love that. I also love that we have a team of preachers. It's not just, a lot, some churches just have one preacher who preaches 98% of the time. But, but here we have a team, and you get to hear, you know, from, from different voices, God's word from different voices. I love that. I love having a team, except for that Monday afternoon. Because as I presented my outline, they, they, that team of people, about 10 folks, started to say, I don't think that's the direction God wants us to go this weekend. I said, great, but that would have been nice to know three weeks ago, <laughs> you know? Um, adaptability, we do strength finders here. Adaptability is my 34th strength. You know how many, stre- you know how many strengths there are? 34, okay? <laughs> so, so I'm not the most adaptable guy in the world, and, and so I went home that night, and I was tossing and turning, and, and Jen turned to me, she said, you'll get it in the morning. She knows I'm a morning person, and so I got up that morning, and I worshiped, and I prayed, and, and I said, God, what do you want me to say to the people of Hosanna this weekend? I- I'm willing to say anything. You know, as long as it fits the series and, and you know, about this time in Jesus' life. And, and, and if it could come from the Gospel of Luke, that'd be great, too, you know. And then I opened up the Gospel of Luke, and as soon as that, it just started to jump off the page. This is the message that people, that we are supposed to hear this weekend. And it, was, it just jumped off the page. The identity of Jesus. The identity of Jesus. And as soon as that topic came... It was like, it just started to flow and the floodgates opened. And, and this thought came to me early on. And it's this, knowing his true identity is how Jesus fulfills his destiny. You, some of you are filling in blanks. I'll give you a second to do that. Knowing his true identity is how Jesus fulfills his destiny. Another way to say it would be, if you want to get, if Jesus wants to get to his destiny, it starts by knowing his true identity. That's where it starts. So there's a lot at stake when it comes to Jesus knowing his true identity. A lot at stake. Fulfilling his destiny, revealing who God is, and rescuing the world. That's why he came. But there's even more at stake for us, personally. Because it's true of us, too. It's true of us, too. You knowing your true identity is how you fulfill your destiny. You knowing your true identity, you starting here with your true identity is how you get there, your destiny, your purpose in life, why you are on this planet. It starts with knowing your true identity. Another way to think about it might be you're only going to get as far as who you think you are. It's who you think you are. But here's, here's the challenge, and I think we can all relate to this. Doesn't it seem like everything around us is trying to, to pull us away from our true identity? Doesn't it? I mean, doesn't, it, doesn't it seem like, like everything around us is trying to get us to throw our true identity away and take on a false identity? Can you relate to that? I can. Well, this is why it's so important to fix our eyes on Jesus. Here's why. Because it's in fixing our eyes on Jesus that we can discover our true identity. Because Jesus knew his true identity, because he fulfills his destiny, we can know our true identity. It's the only way. And so I'm going to pray. I know I'm already into the message here a little bit, but I'm going to pray that God would help us do that. 
Lord, we ask Jesus, help us to fix our eyes on you so that we can see who you really are and then know who we really are. We pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So Jesus spends the first 30 years of his life in relative obscurity. Relative obscurity. We know a little bit about his childhood. We, 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 we know some about his birth, obviously. But, but from there, there's not much. He's in relative obscurity. And then everything changes. Like that. And now, in Jesus' life, chronologically, there is going to be this major turning point. There, there is going to be a pivot, if you will. Everything's going to turn on a dime where Jesus is going to go from relative obscurity to, to, to some real publicity. He, he's going to go from being pretty anonymous to being pretty famous in a, in a heartbeat. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. It's on page 616 if you have one of the Red Worship Center Bibles. Or be, the words will be on the screen, side screens as well. Luke 3.21, one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his, began his public ministry. From, from there you can read on. It's really exciting stuff about Jesus' ancestors, okay? But let's stop there for a second. If you've ever wondered, how do we know that Jesus began his ministry at age 30 and then had about 30 years of ministry? This is one of those verses. Obscurity and then 30 years of ministry, that's it. And then right here, we, in a blink, we see the baton, the leadership baton for the kingdom of God movement being passed from the previous leader, John the Baptist, who happened to be Jesus' cousin, to the leader, the, the king himself, Jesus. That baton is passed in a blink. And from here, Jesus is going to, to go on and, and to ad advance the kingdom of God. He's going to preach about the kingdom of God. He's going to perform miracles that show us what the kingdom of God looks like. He's going to teach about the kingdom of God. He is, in essence, going to start a revolution that will change the world forever. <laughs> but it all starts with him knowing his true identity. Jesus knowing his true identity is what makes it possible for him to fulfill his destiny. You could say that every step of the way from the very beginning at his baptism of his ministry to, to the cross, he draws from his true identity. That's what makes it possible, every step of the way. Now the word identity is pretty, it's pretty abstract. It can get pretty theoretical in a hurry. So I just want to break it down and, and put it in two parts. Identity is really, one way to think about it is it's, it's two parts. It's a sense of self and it's the source of worth. So it's self plus worth, which is self-worth. Identity is where we get our self-worth from. Those two words are almost synonymous. So Jesus has these words of identity spoken over him at his baptism. And, and, and this is where he draws his identity and his self-worth from. Let's look at these words again. It's Luke 3.22. It says this. You, this voice speaking over, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. I've just felt led all week ever since God turned this message in a different direction to let those words kind of hang out there. To let them, let them land. Maybe even let them move something inside of you. You are my dearly loved child. And, and you bring me great joy. What moves inside of you? 
Maybe, maybe you're a parent and, and you're or just an adult and you're thinking about a special young one in your life and you think, oh, I love that child. And I have this unconditional love for, for that child. And, and, and you look at that child and you, th- and you think, man, you are incredible. And I realize sometimes there's a different tone behind that and it's like, you are incredible. And I think I've gotten better at but saying it with this tone is, as we've had more kids. I don't think the kids are getting better. Don't tell them I said that even. But, but I think as parents, we get better. You know, at first, you, you're just getting used to being a parent, and you're stressed out, and you don't take time to just, just take pleasure in your child. But by number three, I'm doing it more and more. <laughs> and I'm doing it with the other ones now, too. You just look at them. Like, oh, this is, this is a precious human being that God has entrusted me with. Maybe something moves in you there. Maybe something moves in you around the relationship you had with your parents. And maybe those words are reminiscent of the affection that you felt from, from your parents or do feel. Or maybe, alternatively, it's, it's tapping into something you wish you had. Some a, a, affection from, from your parents that you wish you had. All of us, if we're open, if our souls are open, even just a crack, a sliver, should have something move inside of us when we hear these words because they tap into a longing that we all have, a longing to, to hear those words from our creator, to hear those words from the ultimate parent, to hear ultimate acceptance and ultimate affection and ultimate approval from our heavenly father. In fact, we might even be asking the question, can what is said about Jesus be said about me? And then some of you, even if you heard those words about you, you, you might struggle to believe them, but you're, something's moving inside. We'll get to you in a bit, but let's get back to Jesus. Jesus hears these words of his true identity, and his true identity, knowing his true identity, is how he fulfills his destiny. It's how he keeps from getting derailed and, and, and going down a false path, taking on a false identity, going down a false road of, of, of his destiny. That's how he stays the course. And he needs to draw from those words from the very beginning, including his first day on the job. Look at this in Luke chapter four. It says, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit. I think that's noteworthy. Led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Okay, I mean, that makes sense, right? (laughs) Nothing for 40 days, and, and he's hungry. Actually, there's something really profound in those words. You might think it's just kind of a duh, but, but there's something profound there, and that is we see Jesus' full humanity. If he was just fully God, he wouldn't have been hungry. Right? He can handle that, but he's also fully human. He's fully God, fully human. We talk about this um, as the dual nature of Christ. We see some of his identity there. But Jesus, Jesus is on one... What, what happened? I mean, I, I, that's what I... As I was reading through this, what happened? I mean, one day he's hearing these words of, this is my, you know, dearly loved son. I'm finding great joy in him. We're getting warm and fuzzies, right? And then the next day, it's like, off into the wilderness, 40 days without food and and tempted by the devil. What happened to the warm fuzzies, right? It's like, is is that the same loving God? I think it is. You know, it's one thing to know your identity your true identity. It's another thing to have it tested and refined by the fire and, and, and solidified by the hard knocks of life. 
The Spirit leads, we read that, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness and sometimes we find ourselves in the wilderness and it's there that our true identities get refined by the fire and solidified and anchored even deeper. It's a loving thing that, that happens here as Jesus is prepared for ministry. But he goes on to face three temptations. Three temptations. And, and these temptations have been sliced and diced. Many of you have heard this story before. They've been sliced and diced dozens of ways. What they mean. And I think they can have multiple levels of meaning. But, but once this message started to turn, and God said, we're going in a different direction, I, I started to see, the Lord started to show me that, that each of these temptations that Jesus faces is a temptation to throw his true identity away and to take on a false identity. Each of them. There are three temptations to take on false identities in these temptations in the wilderness. One is to find the temptation, or the temptation to find his identity in stuff. Another is, is the, the temptation to find his identity in power. And the other is the temptation to find identity in expressive individualism. That is a mouthful. <laughs> what does it mean? It means that the temptation to find our identity in expressing myself, being who I am. You know, it doesn't matter what anyone else says or anyone else does. I'm gonna, remember that Frank Sinatra song, I Did It My Way? It's kind of like that. I'm just going to do it my way. And finding our identity in that. Jesus faces that same temptation. The first temptation, he is taken by the devil, and the devil points to a stone and says, turn this stone into bread. Now bread, uh, throughout history and across cultures, has come to symbolize what? Money, stuff, material possessions. So the first temptation is for Jesus to find you know, his identity in stuff. We never face that temptation, do we? Jesus says this, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Including the word that he heard the day before from his father, this is my son. So Jesus faces that temptation. He doesn't throw his true identity away. He doesn't fall to that false identity. Then the devil takes him up, it's like a vision, and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, the devil says to Jesus, you can have all of this. You can have authority over all these kingdoms. You can have power. Find your identity in power. There's just one little catch, the devil says. You gotta bow down and worship me. You know that phrase, sell your soul to the devil? This is where we get it from. And, and, and more often than not, to assume power, to, to grab power, to acquire power, requires some bowing down, selling your soul but Jesus says this, he said, scripture, he quotes scripture, he says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. <laughs> he doesn't throw his true identity away. And then the third temptation, the devil takes him up to the top of a temple and the devil says, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down. If you're the son of God, express yourself. Throw yourself down and, and God will send angels to come and, and save you and rescue you. But go ahead, express yourself. Show them who you are. Jesus says, quote scripture again, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And he doesn't throw his true identity away. Jesus comes through those 40 days of temptation without throwing, he doesn't lose his true identity, he doesn't fall to a false identity because he's not just thinking about those 40 days. He's got 41 days in mind. What? 41 days, that first day before he goes off into the wilderness, he, he, he has that day in mind every, 
<laughs> every day following for 40 days, that day where, where God the Father spoke his true identity over him. This is my son with whom I'm, I'm pleased. I, I, he, you bring me great joy. He hangs on to his true identity. He doesn't throw away his false identity. He stays on course with his destiny. And then there's this verse. I just think this is funny. Luke 4, 13. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity. (laughs) Because there would be another opportunity. There would be plenty of opportunities for Jesus to throw his true identity away. Jesus lived in a world that was filled with opportunities and temptations to throw his true identity away and take on a false identity and miss his destiny. It's the world we live in now 2,000 years later as well. A world that is filled with opportunities, temptations to throw our true identity away and take on a false identity and therefore miss our true destiny. You you might even think about it this way. This world is filled with identity thieves. That's a a buzz phrase. Identity theft. We've got to protect ourselves from identity theft. Some of you have had your identity stolen. The worst that's ever happened to me is someone came in behind me at an ATM once, apparently, and you can, you know, get all the information from someone's card by sticking this device in and had some unauthorized transactions. But some of you have had your whole identity stolen. It's an awful thing to go through, time-consuming and potential financial loss, and you feel violated. It's It's kind of awful. But if that's awful, how awful is it to have our spiritual identity stolen, to have our true identity stolen from us by identity thieves. You, you could say that there are, there are forces, dark forces, that are trying, just like Jesus faced the temptation, to pull us into a false identity and into an alternative destiny other than what God has for us. Dark forces. It reminds me of a movie, actually, that maybe you've heard of. <clears throat> Luke, I am your father. Join me. It is your destiny. I've always wanted to do that in a message. It's kind of fun. There's my time. But I mean, it's it's true. There are... (laughs) There are, there are those forces there, and, and, and we probably haven't faced Darth Vader. You just did, actually, but, but most of the time, we don't face Darth Vader, but we do face something, an identity thief, trying to take our true identity away, get us to join him and, and, and fulfill the wrong destiny, right? And sometimes it's that obvious. A lot of the time, it's not. Uh, more often than not, it is more subtle. It's on our periphery, even in our blind spots. We don't even really realize it's happening. And those are just the forces outside of us. And then, more often than we realize, maybe even than we want to admit, it's often coming from something inside of us that leads us to take on a false identity. As Christians, we talk about this as sin. We probably should talk about it more, frankly. Sin. And sin is, is mischaracterized as being only about singular actions or, you know, uh, mistakes that are made. That's, that's how sin plays out in our lives, but, but sin is more fully understood as a nature that we inherit as, as part of the human race. It's, it's a tendency inside every human being to be pulled into those temptations, to even fall to those temptations, to take on a false identity. Sin. Sin and, and identity can, can be 
closely, closely connected. I found a couple of quotes that I thought were helpful along these lines. One is by a 19th century Danish philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard. He says, sin is building your identity on anything but God. And then Tim Keller, a pastor from New York, he said, sin is building your greatest, finding your greatest meaning, significance, and security in something besides God. Sin and identity and how they can be connected. I found another quote by a 21st century pastor and wannabe philosopher, Ryan Alexander. When you base your identity on something besides God, things get funky. (laughs) Things get funky. Uh, You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about the 70s funky where it's cool. This is like the not cool funky. And you know that funky feeling when things just aren't quite right inside of you or around you. Things get funky. Things get funky in lots of different places. I could talk about a lot. But when you base your identity on something besides God, things get funky in relationships. Things get, get funky in priorities. Things get funky with our work. gets funky. How do things get funky uh, in relationships when we're basing our identity on the relationship or another human being? The reason it gets funky is because we're trying to get from another human being what they cannot give us. We're trying to get from them what only God can give us. What only Jesus can give us. So things get funky. They, they, they do. I, I've said this before, but it's like when we're trying to find our identity in human relationships, it's like I've got that hole in my bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. We keep pouring stuff in, but the hole isn't filled by Jesus. It's, we're trying to fill it with some other person, and it just keeps pouring out. We're pouring in, and it's pouring out. We're pouring in, and it's pouring out. This happens in big and small ways in our lives. I'll just tell you one small way it happened in my life recently. So my wife, Jen, did speak at this middle school girls retreat last weekend, about 300 middle school girls. You couldn't pay me enough to have been there, but she was. And, uh, and that means we had a boys retreat at our house, okay? Three boys, me, I guess the dog, five boys. We, we, we had a boys retreat. And uh, I didn't complain too much. I will say, though, that single parents, you are like my heroes, Okay? You are amazing. Uh, for three days I did this. And, and then Jen got home from her retreat, and, and we were both tired. I don't know why she was, but I was tired. And, uh, <laughs> and we were having this conversation, things got a little funky. And I said, I, I, just, I was just trying to get her to affirm me for watching her kids, you know, a little bit. <laughs> and uh, don't ever say that, right? And I was just grasping for her to affirm me a little bit more, thank me. She did, but not enough. And so I just wanted her to thank me. And things got a little funky. It wasn't a fight, but I, uh, you know, we went to bed. And I got up the next morning. Again, I'm a morning person. And I realized that things were funky because I was trying to get her to fill that hole in me that only God can fill. The affirmation that only God can give. Even our spouses cannot, cannot uh, fill our, our deepest identity needs. Only God can. Things get funky on Facebook when you're checking. See, how many likes did I get, right? It's funky. Things get funky with priorities, too. And, and, and I, there's a lot I could say about this, but I think what, what we need to have in mind as adults, not just parents, but a whole generation of adults, is to make sure we're modeling the right priorities for the younger generation. And, and, and I like sports, and I'm about activities, and education is important, but if we make those the highest priorities in life, what does it start to do? become an identity, becomes an identity, a false identity. And then work, things get really funky at work if you're trying to find your identity in work. I've been there, I know that. I still have to make sure that I'm not there. 
I came across this in some of my reading this week. A question to ask yourself. Is the quality of your work the measure of your worth? If you are finding your identity and and your worth, your self-worth in your work, things will get funky. They just will. (laughs) But here's, here's the thing about funkiness. Funkiness is that feeling that you have and, and you, if you can start to just recognize that it's happening, it, what's happening is your insecurities are getting tapped and, and, and those false identities are being you know, kind of raised up. When you can recognize that funkiness, it's like an early warning sign. And you can go, okay, that's why that's happened. I can stop that now. I, I gotta get back to my true identity. But if you don't recognize that funkiness and those early warning signs, it is, it is a very fast, slippery slope from funkiness to messiness. I mean, it can go from funky to messy in a hurry. And messiness comes when we are living out of false identities, when we're not living out of the true identity that we, that we have in Christ. In fact, I know that there are people in Shakopee, Lakeville, listening online, some of you that are on the verge of making a mess because of a false identity that you've assumed. There are some that are in the middle of a mess even because of that. And then there are some that are on the other side of a mess because of a false identity falling to one of those temptations of, of finding your identity in stuff or power or expressive individualism or something else. I want to speak to each of you for a moment. If you are on the verge of making a mess, a bad decision, a mistake, here's what I want to say to you. Stop. Stop. Come back to your true identity. Discover your true identity. Don't throw your true identity away for a false identity. Find those people in your life who can remind you of what your true identity is. Let me be one of those people right now. Come back to your true identity. Some of you, if you're in the middle of a mess, here's what I want you to hear. Get help. Get help. There is help. We would love to walk alongside of you, pray with you, help and then, and then those of you are on the other side of a mess and you feel like, oh yeah, I lived out that fall, false identity. Hook, line, and sinker. Here's what you need to hear. There's hope. There's hope. There's always hope. Did we talk about the good news, Christianity? It's, it's I don't know, it, it's more like great news. <laughs> it's great news that Jesus, that Jesus has come and taken on our sin and our false identities and our messes and has made it possible for us to live beyond all that stuff, to move beyond it, to leave it behind, to start over, to, to start fresh. He's made it possible. It's great news. It's the best news you will ever hear. Wherever you are, here, here, here's a verse that speaks to this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of what Jesus has done, we get to become right with God. We become the righteousness of God. In, in essence, we take on, we, we, we lose our old identity, we take on a new identity, which is the very identity of Jesus, which means that what is said about Jesus is said about you. Because of what Jesus has done, what is said about Jesus is said about you. Hear it. You are my dearly loved child. And you bring me Great joy. Let those words float and land and move in you. Because of Jesus, this is who you are. This is who you are.
This is your true identity. And you can start here. Notice Jesus, Jesus hears these words before he does one thing in ministry. He starts there. You can start full. You don't have to have that hole in your bucket filling yourself up. You can start full when you know your true identity. I've been trying this this last week. Every morning, I don't get out of bed until I hear these words and really let them sink into my heart from God. Ryan, you are my dearly loved child and you bring me great joy. You can put your name in there and start there. This is why it is all about Jesus. We fix our eyes on him because it's in him that we find our true identity. And when we know our true identity, we can fulfill our destiny. Whoever you are and wherever you are, you can be who God created you to be when you know who you really, who you really are. And we, we learn all of this from Jesus' baptism and the words of identity that are spoken over him. There's one other thing we learn. And that is that, that the words of identity, even for Jesus, and if it's true of Jesus, it's definitely true of us, need to come from outside of him. They need to come. There's that whole sin thing again that's going on inside of us. And it's why expressive individualism is so problematic because it can't just come from inside of us as an individual. It's got to come from outside of us, from the one who created us, from Jesus himself. And it really has to be spoken over us. It's why community is so important. It's why being a part of a church community is so important. We remind each other of who we really are. And I'm going to do that in just a moment. I'm going to speak words of identity, an affirmation of identity over you. But before that, I want to, I want to speak one more word. I believe this is for us. This, the phone and this word were the two carryovers from my original sermon, okay? You know it's leap year, right? Tomorrow's leap day. It means you get 366 days this year. What are you going to do with that extra day? It's a good question. But I think, but I think what I want to say is I believe this is going to be a leap year for many of you. I believe this is going to be a leap year in your faith. I believe this is going to be a leap year in your relationship with God, in your capacity to trust God. I believe this is going to be a leap year in, in, in you going deeper and anchoring deeper into your, your true identity. Therefore, it's going to be a leap year in you stepping out and fulfilling the destiny that God has for your life. It's going to be a leap year. Do you believe that? It's for you. But I also believe that that is going to be a leap year for our church, for Hosanna. I believe that. I don't know exactly what it looks like. I just believe that this is going to be a leap year. But it all starts with knowing our true identity. Each one of us and us collectively as a church. And so what I want to do now is just speak these, these words, this, this affirmation of true identity over you. Receive it. Some of you are going, I can't even believe that it's true. It's true. Believe it or not, it's true. Hear this. Receive. Put your hands out if you want to, just however you want to receive. Close your eyes. God says to you, my child, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. As you do so, know this. He fulfilled his destiny so you could know your true identity. Jesus fills that hole in your bucket. He is the solution to your funkiness. He lifts you out of the mess. Whatever temptation or trial you are facing, don't throw your true identity away. Instead, bring your false identities to the foot of the cross. Leave them there. From there, I give you a new identity. The identity I have given you leads to fullness, purpose, and life. In Jesus, this is your identity. This is who you are. You are my dearly loved child. 
and you bring me great joy. Your creator, your heavenly father, smiles, delights, even laughs with joy over you. You are completely accepted, loved without condition, fully forgiven, lacking nothing. Start there, today and every day. You are my dearly loved child. Nothing can steal your true identity from you. Now, live it, my child. Fulfill your destiny, your life's purpose, and keep listening, because I will be speaking your true identity over you every step of the way. You are my dearly loved child, my dearly loved son, my dearly loved daughter. I am filled with unbridled joy over you. This is the ultimate measure of your worth. Just look at Jesus. If you receive those words as your true identity, would you say amen? Amen. 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 And I say amen. Please stand at both campuses for a closing blessing. I do believe that God's word and spirit are floating out there. They're landing and, and moving stuff inside of you. And whatever's moving inside of you, I would encourage you to respond somehow. There was a word in the prayer chapel this morning that there would be some people who are having second thoughts about coming for prayer, responding somehow to this message or whatever God's putting on your heart. And I would say, let God move you beyond those doubts, move, those, move you beyond those barriers and come and, and receive prayer whatever that response looks like. But now receive this blessing from God's heart to yours. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace, for you are his child. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next week.